Welcome once again to On Mike with Jordan Rich, where we meet creative folks, many of whom are friends and colleagues of mine, actors, writers, voiceover artists, producers, musicians, and more. Today, a delightful lady joining me, Phyllis Gordon. She's a trained actor, member of Equity, who has appeared in everything from Agatha Christie to Shakespeare at several top regional theaters. She's also worked as an actor on several network and cable TV shows. Phyllis is an accomplished voiceover artist with her work heard on Frontline for PBS, on Audible, the Library of Congress, lots of commercials both TV and radio, and much more. As a stand-up comic, Phyllis has performed in New York City nightclubs, including Stand Up New York, Gotham, and Caroline's. She's a pianist, a mimic, an impressionist, a dancer, a singer, and a comic, and she showcases it all in her new one-woman show, Phyllis Diller Believes in Me, which has won rave reviews. Phyllis Gordon, welcome to On Mic with Jordan Rich, and it's great to connect with you again. Thanks. Jordan, it's great to talk to you. You and I go back a ways. We did some work together in the voiceover booth, and uh, I know I've been following your acting career. I mentioned many of your credits in the introduction, of course, but now you're doing something rather special called Phyllis Diller Believes in Me, and your name is Phyllis. Is that what drew you to this? Was there any connection with the names? Well, that's not what drew me to it, but there's always been that connection. Um, In high school, people used to say to me, hi, Phyllis Diller, and literally I didn't even know who they were talking about. But um, but, So that's somewhat of a connection. But um, what drew me to Phyllis Diller and writing a show about me and Phyllis Diller was a lot of different factors that started probably like when I started doing stand-up comedy like in the 90s. Um, But it's kind of a long story, but to keep it short, basically, um, I've I've been wanting to do a, a solo show for a long time, and I could never really sort of dig into it. I could never really finish one. It had all these different ideas. And finally, um, I had an acting teacher, Scott Fielding uh, in Boston. He's a great teacher. And he said, you should do a solo show about female comedians, you know, like Lucille Ball, um, uh, you know, um, who else? and Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers, right. and just do a show about all of them because you, you could imitate the, all of them. They'd be great. So I tried to do that. I tried to write that show for a while. And um, – it didn't, for some reason, just all those people all at once didn't really work. So I thought, who do I have the most co- in common with? Well, I had the most in common with, like, Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller, I guess. So I tried to work it down to, like, Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers coming down from heaven and talking to me. That was my concept for a while. Right. And I tried to write that. But for some reason, it just wasn't working. And and one day I, I went to um, meet with my monologue coach, Fran Weinberg. She's a really great coach here in Boston. And, uh, and we, I, I just started talking to her about stand-up and about how I hadn't been doing it in a while and how I missed it and, um, and how I felt like I was sort of betraying myself for not doing stand-up and I was torn between acting and stand-up. And then I told her about this idea for a solo show and she sort of said, well, if you made it more personal where like Phyllis Diller was talking to you about your life, um, maybe that could work. So she started working with me then and there on that. And I said, do you want to, you know, direct me in this? Because I really think with you, this could actually work. And she said, yes. And so then every week I met with Fran Weinberg and I just wrote, and I wrote really personal stuff about my life and how Phyllis Diller would talk to me about that. that and great? then it started. 
Yeah. You know, uh, I interviewed Phyllis Diller many years ago in probably her 70s or 80s. She was delightful, by the way. And her life story is fascinating. Classical pianist, the fact that she never smoked, that was a piece of wood on the stick, as you probably know. But your play is both funny and poignant. There's a lot of real stuff in there, isn't there? There is. There's a lot of real stuff about her life, and then there's a lot of real stuff about my life. And it's like, because she's in my subconscious, so she knows all the stuff that's in my life, which in the play I find really creepy at first, but then I come to sort of accept. But um, yeah, so she compares what went on in her life and how she got through it to what's going on in my life and how maybe I can get through it. And that's just something that came just organically out of the writing. I didn't expect it to be that way Mm. when I started. Comedy is often described as laughter through tears. I mean, the ability to make others laugh while you're in some quandary yourself. I mean, that's the traditional, almost stereotypical comic uh, routine. But what was her life like? I mean, you obviously did enough research day to day in terms of family and so forth. Yeah, she had a very challenging life. She she was born in 1917. So she married um, like in the... 30s. Like she met her husband in 1937, I think it was. Well, she, and before she met her husband, she wanted to be a professional pianist. And she went to this conservatory in Chicago and um, thought that that's what she was going to be. But she realized at a certain point that she didn't really have it. She wasn't really suited for that. So she dropped out of the conservatory, went to this small college in Bluffton, Ohio. And that's where she met her husband to be, who she thought originally. Mr. Diller, Sherwood Diller. She thought he was hot, he was was handsome, he was, you know, all these things. And these sort of red flags that kept coming up, she ignored them about his family, about the fact that he never really held a job, about how um, he thought he was great, but he really wasn't, all these things. And she married him, and she really just wanted to have kids, so they started having kids. Eventually, they had five kids. Um, Along the way, he moved them out to, like... uh, the Midwest, um, I don't know, to, to work on a, uh, to develop something for the war. I think it was, I don't know, some sort of thing that he did. But then he went out to, to San Francisco, moved them out there. He, he could never really hold a job. So, um, but he knew she was funny because she would always, like, make up these little sketches for, like, the, the women's groups in the town. And so he thought, well, maybe maybe she could support us. And so he was pushing her and pushing her into comedy. And, um so she, she, she eventually just sort of she knew in her mind that that, that she was funny and that she, something that she could do. She went to the Purple Onion Comedy Club in San Francisco and started working with um, this guy. I can't remember his name. He's one of the sort of like coaches of the time. Of, of and he was he was he was gay. He was flamboyant. He wanted her to. Um, do like characters and do all these crazy song parodies. She started doing that. It did very well. Um, and you know, eventually, you know, that could tell you the whole story of her life, but that was, that was the basics of how she got into comedy. Yeah. But it was, it was not easy. And her husband was, you know, verbally abusive. He was not at all attentive to her to say the least. He could just, he wanted to steal the spotlight and he couldn't hold it. So it was, it was a lot of, it was mental health issues really that she was dealing with. What was he the inspiration for Fang, the famous husband she talked about on stage? Yeah, he definitely was. And she would say that he wasn't and she would never admit that he was, but even he knew that he was. And when she started changing his name to Fang and telling all those jokes, he would sit in the back of 
the house and laugh because he knew it was about him. And and, and then he was narcissistic, so he was it was he was happy to, to hear that. But but yeah, so it was about him, definitely. I mean some of the stuff wasn't completely true. She exaggerated it, but yeah. Now in the play, which is called Phyllis Diller Believes in Me, written and starring Phyllis Gordon, I've got to get that straight. In the play, you of course are you and you're also Phyllis. I think it'd be a great time to play an audio clip with you as Phyllis Diller in full regalia talking about Fang. You want to listen in when we do that? Fang's a good loser, though. He lost 11 jobs in one year. (laughs) He's been under a lot of pressure lately, though. Three quilts and a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great material. Oh, it was tough being married to a depressed, agoraphobic, narcissist, Sherwood refused to take me to the hospital for the birth of our second child. Well, there we heard you, Phyllis Gordon, as Phyllis Diller. And by the way, the look is dead on. You got it down pat, including the stance and all that. But it is Uh funny. At the same time, there's, there's a tinge of sadness to that isn't there oh god yeah so much sadness i i she really held a lot inside of her and just uh toward the country you know with him following along her staying in these really cheap flea bag hotels all over the place you know uh leaving her family in st louis where you know there were people to take care of them so and she just sacrificed so much while he he, he tagged along with her and um I just think she really, 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 really suffered. Even in the book, the way she describes what she went through verbally, it doesn't really capture probably all of what she felt. Is pain necessary for humor, in your estimation? You know, it's interesting. I wrote another solo show, actually one that I did successfully write. It was very short, and it was called Painfully Funny. I did it in New York. And it was about, you know, is humor it is pain necessary for humor and it was about actually me blind dating all these guys and having horrible experiences with them and that being so funny and working in my act and then falling in love with someone where there was nothing funny about that and could could I still you know be funny being in love and and I don't know if you can actually um I think it's okay to not put pressure on yourself to always be in pain in order to be funny I think it's a gift when you're happy but for a comic, it's pretty hard to find humor in happiness. <laughs> we laugh at the things that make us cringe sometimes, which is why so many comics are successful. We're talking with Phyllis Gordon, a brilliant actress and writer, stand-up comic, voiceover artist. Let me talk with you a bit about this project and the fact that it's a one-woman project. Those seem to be the kinds of things that take off uh, if given enough exposure. In in terms of your career, this is uh, hopefully a milestone for you. I hope so. It feels like it for me, actually. It felt like that when I performed it. I mean, it took me a year and a half, probably more, to write this thing, you know, rehearse it, um, you know, get a costume made for it, all of the details of it. Um, it. It was such a rewarding thing. I, you know, to have to do it in front of, you know, I guess it was like 70 people each night um, at this really tiny little place that I did it in Worcester. Just to hear how they reacted to it and to hear how it moved them and how they did laugh and they did cry. And I, the fact that I could write something personal about me and about somebody else and move people like that, it was 
really unexpected that it would mm. go over all, all that well, really. I mean, I knew it would do well, but it was just it, it was a very moving experience for me to do that. Mm-hmm. I know from your voiceover projects, you have a range of voice characters. Obviously, you have a range of characters on stage, too. That must bode well when you're auditioning for various roles, TV, radio, etc. It does, and it doesn't, because sometimes they just want you to be you, and they don't want to hear you doing that. I mean, I would say for stage, it bodes better, but for film and television, I mean, it's great that you can do that, but it has to be so incredibly real to do a a, a British accent for television. You just have to be so, like, from England half the time. But, um, no, I think for stage, that's where it has served me the best, definitely, yeah. Tell us about the SAG-AFTRA Foundation's voiceover lab. You wrote me that you're currently studying with these individuals and these folks. What is that all about? Um, it is. They have one in Los Angeles and in New York City, and basically it's just a bunch of workshops that you can take to um, you know, study with casting directors, to study with top-notch actors and voice actors, to learn how to self-engineer and to um, uh, develop your own home studio, which is my big goal. Um, you know, I've, I've done some audiobook work, and I want to get to the place where I can, uh, you know, get work from uh, publishing companies all over the country and do it in my home studio. So they're teaching me that. They're, you know, it's basically, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. I mean, it's excellent, in my opinion, to to have something like that from the union, you know, where you mm-hmm. can go in there and, and just do that. Well, I wanted to mention the fact that you got rave reviews for Phyllis Diller Believes in Me when it premiered in, I guess, Worcester at the Sprinkler Factory in July. And your plan is to take this show on the road for spring of 2019. That's right. I hope to. Yep. Well, hopefully you'll play some venues around here so we can all come and see you and cheer you on. I mean, around here being, yeah, Yeah. Boston, there's some great theaters. What do you see for your general career moving forward? I mean, you're doing a lot of auditioning, are you? Um, I have been doing a lot of auditioning, as I told you. I'm dealing with sort of a knee thing right now, so I haven't been. Um, I see more voiceover stuff happening, mostly because I do have this knee thing that's going to take a little while to heal, and I can record from a home studio. I can record from a studio in New York City, hopefully. Um, And I have fallen more and more in love with doing voiceover stuff, doing audiobooks, um, hopefully doing commercial stuff. I would love to do animation, although that's mostly out in L.A., but that is like a huge goal of mine, that and doing more stage work, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jordan. I'm just I'm versatile. I love to do everything. You know, I mean, I, it, I'll i take, you know, if, if, if a television commercial, I mean, or if a television um, show, which they have a lot running here in New York, if that comes my way and audition for that sure i would audition for anything that came my way no, you know no. i um so but the, yeah the one thing i haven't mentioned and it's in the show is that you're also a pretty darn good rapper yes i am yes true. so let's play a little this is actually from the show and we'll hopefully boost the audio so the listeners can hear it but i'll have you comment after here she is phyllis gordon in the phyllis diller believes in me production that she's written and performs in <laughs> Check me out. I'm a kind of dancer, Bill. 
So that's a pretty good rap uh, you got going there. Oh, my God. Thank you. You know, these songs that I do in the show, there are about five of them. I came up with most of them at four in the morning, just lying in bed. And I would just, it would just drop into my mind, like these lyrics. And I just, I mean, I just, I, I just, it just came to me in a way. It's strange how that happens. And, um, no, I loved that rap. That rap just came to me pretty fast. The other songs I worked on crafted more, but the rap just sort of came to me. And for some reason, I could remember it really easily when I was memorizing my show. It's like, yeah, that I could do. Yeah, the rap is just so much fun to do. And people loved, people just love the rap because that's when you first realize that Phyllis Diller is a person and she's in my mind and now she's rapping. It's just, it's just really funny. <laughs> it's yeah. great. It's great. And tell everybody how they can find out more. You have a website for the show. Tell us how we can reach you. I do. I have my own website, which is www.phyllisgordon.net. And then I have a promo site for the show, and it's called HTTP dot or whatever, you know, backslash, black, backslash, uh, then it's diller.phyllisgordon.net. Okay, so the two Phyllises are joined in the uh, World Wide Web in that regard as well. That's right. That's terrific. Well, listen, it's so nice to, to catch up with you again, and I'm thrilled for your success. And going forward, I think this is going to be a hit. Congratulations on all counts. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan, so much. And I really appreciate talking to you. It's been great. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, be well so you can do good.